appreciate the opportunity to uh, lead you in the study this morning. Pastor Tim is away in all places, uh, ironically, Florida, which is where I'm from. Uh, so he went that way, and I came this way. And uh, that's been one of the big questions, how you guys settled in, or, or, how are things going here, are you adjusting? And we are really enjoying ourselves here in central Pennsylvania, uh, as, as you call it, so PA. So we are really enjoying it. We are the people that walk down the uneven sidewalks and trip over it as we ooh and ah the different vegetation and the, the houses. And uh, we're the ones that are also almost getting in wrecks because we're driving down the road going, oh, bunny rabbit. So uh, that, that, that is us. We are those people. If you want to have a, a good time, come out some afternoon or, watch, or when we're walking around and watch us trip over the sidewalk so, as we go through town. So we are really enjoying it. Uh, we want to say, my, my family wants to extend a very special thank you to all of those that, that have helped us in so many ways. There's no way I can mention everyone, but you guys really welcomed us from from. The time that we got here when you unloaded and put our house together in, I believe, world record time. Uh, and, and then the ladies that came by and cleaned. And then the, for the first week, we called our front door the magic door because people would show up and just drop off food. We're like, yay, we love you, magic door. So, <laughs> so thank you so much for all the different things that you have done uh, to welcome us and extend love and to, to us as a family. So uh, go ahead and take your Bibles open to the book of Mark. If you're here visiting with us, thank you so much for being here. I hope you'll show up next week and hear Pastor Tim, get to meet him. You are definitely want to get, definitely want to, get to know him. He's a, uh, a great pastor here at this church. Uh, I count it a joy to serve alongside him. But go to Mark chapter 5. We'll be in Mark chapter 5. And, of course, uh, just to reiterate some things that, that Pastor Tim has mentioned, uh, the book of Mark talking about Jesus, the one who offers freedom, and, of course, he's described Mark as kind of moving light and fast. He moves very quickly from situation to situation and, and doesn't use a lot of words, doesn't use a lot of uh, things to describe what's going on, but he just kind of says, this is what Jesus is doing. And he shows us Jesus in action. Uh, he, he is concerned that his audience sees the hands of Jesus in ministry in the, in the lives of other people. You know, very quickly, as a review in quick succession, we've seen in this chapter and in the end of the last chapter, we've seen several miracles happen. That the sea was calm. Jesus spoke those words, and everything went quiet and peaceful. Peace be still. We've seen the man that was uh, that was possessed by a demon or really a legion, potentially thousands of demons. We we saw him healed and saw him in his right mind. We saw the woman with an incurable condition who just touched the hem of Jesus' garment. And immediately that problem that she had fought with for so many years was healed. And Mark is demonstrating to people, he's showing to people over and over again that, hey, there is this man, Jesus, and he's different than you and me. He has power to do things that we couldn't even possibly think about doing it. I mean, wouldn't it be great to just go outside right now and say clouds be gone and move them away and the sun come through and it was a nice sunshiny day and we didn't have to run to our cars afraid to get soaking wet and ladies the hair messed up that you spent so much time on this morning and guys there's there's no use so whatever you know we don't care uh we just walk i just rain he's like krista says don't you want an umbrella i'm like nah you just, I'm, I'm good just whatever so, so uh, it wouldn't it be great to be able to just change that with our thoughts or with just a, a word? But no, we are not like that. We are limited. And, and Mark is showing us that that there is something different about this man. Remember, Mark's writing this book, and he, he's putting these thoughts to paper, and he, he's wanting them to go out. Most importantly, to show people 
that the Son of God has come, and He has come to bring us life. The Son of God has come, and He's come to, to die on the cross for us and to be able to restore that relationship that mankind has lost with God the Father. And that is His ultimate aim to show us that Jesus, God's Son, is here. And secondarily, He can show us also through these different stories, we see not only is God's Son here, but there's a life that He has called us to live. And this is what that life looks like. And we're going to see that in the life of Jairus today. Each one of these miracles that we've gone through over these past few weeks, they kind of start out with a situation that really seemed impossible. You're stuck in the middle of a storm. What can you do? I mean, thankfully, I've never been in that situation, but I've heard of people that have been in those. And it doesn't matter what size boat you're in, when the waves start rolling and the ship starts getting tossed and turned, life suddenly becomes very important. And, and, and your relationship with God suddenly becomes very important to get from where you are to, to your feet on solid ground to where it doesn't feel like uh, you're going to be in trouble again. So you got a situation like that. you got a situation where uh, just a crazed man who is completely uncontrollable, he's out breaking chains. He, the Bible said that he was running around naked. I don't know about you, but if I saw some crazy guy running naked down Church Street, I'm going to call the cops. Uh, you know, that's just not something that you're going to want to have happening. Uh, it's it's going to be more than a nuisance. It's going to be this, this. This needs to be fixed. This needs to be changed. And they, the community tried. You know, what can we do? They, they couldn't do anything. But but Jesus' very presence calms the man, frees him from the the demons that were controlling and completely changes his life and, and, and turns him really into an evangelist to, uh, to, to his family and to his community. Uh, the woman with the incurable disease, again, something that we may not run into ourselves, but it's something that maybe somebody you know has, has been dealing with uh, and having a problem with. You know, And when you're, situ- you're in a situation where you know, even the doctors are going, we don't know what to do, that's, that's so difficult. Uh, again, an impossible situation, but just one touch. And, and Jesus changed her life, restored her, and made her life complete. You know, and each one of these miracles also, they, they kind of get in situations to get closer and closer to home, to, to, to the people that he was talking to in their lives. You see, they lived near the Sea of Galilee, so maybe they had been stuck in a storm. Maybe someone could relate to that. But not everyone's going to be out on the Sea of Galilee. Not, every, not everyone is going to be dealing with a literal storm uh, in their life, so maybe you know the demon possessed man. Now that was more prevalent in, in this time, dealing with uh, people that were, were possessed. And you'll see that in the scriptures through the gospels. You're going to see that over and over again where Jesus heals these people. But it's still kind of a, a fringe thing. This guy was on the outskirts, you know, not amongst your general population. And you, you see that Jesus heals him, and maybe you know of someone in the next town over that had a friend that, that knew something like that. So, again, a little more disconnected. A woman with the incurable disease, something more common, but still no one gets up in the morning and says, maybe today's the day I find out I have cancer, or maybe it's the, the day that I get up and I, I find out that I, I'm sick with something. And, you know, we don't, we don't think that way. Now, these things do happen, and, and we, we deal with those that come along. And that's a little closer to home because I'm sure we all have family members that, that someone has dealt with something. And maybe there's people today that are sitting here that say, that's me. I, I'm dealing with something. I'm not sure how 
I'm going to get through it. So that gets a little bit closer to home. But this next miracle that Jesus works, it really, really hits close to home to the people that he was speaking with. We come to a situation that, that many that he's talked to could identify with, and that was the death of someone that was very close to them. You see, in, in the Roman Empire, many of the Roman subjects, in fact, it's thought that half of the Roman subjects died by the age of five. Those that made it to age 10, about half of those would die before they made it to 50. So if you really think about it, if you're age 25 or older in this room, you were over the hill in this time period. You know, you, you were, you had made it much farther than many. And chances are, by the time you're 50, that, w- that was it. That's a short lifespan in our our ideas of thinking of how lives are supposed to be lived and planned out and work and retirement and all these different things that we, that we want to do. But that was a reality that they lived in. And many times, the people that you were around, you knew someone or you dealt with it yourself of a child that had died. And that's what we find in this situation here. We, we find that a father is dealing with a sickness with his child that's going to bring her to the doors of death. Your death is a constant nagging reality that had left a brutal scar on many, if not most, of the people in that crowd that were following Jesus that day. And in this situation, we find Jesus demonstrating his power and his position as God. And he also uses this tragic situation to show us what a life of faith looks like when it seems like there's no hope. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. As we begin this morning, Father, I thank you for the day, the opportunity to speak your word to these people. And may what you want us to hear be clear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Mark chapter 5, verse number 21, it starts out with this. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him. And he was beside the sea. And there came one of the rulers of the synagogue. Now make a a mental note of that, that phrase there. We're going to come back and talk about that later. One of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Of course, we know we saw last week interjected into the story here. There is a woman who comes and interrupts, if you will, this journey of Jesus from where he is now to healing, potentially healing this girl who is sick. And in verse number 35, we pick that back up. Of course, he heals this woman, and right in the middle of encouraging her and saying, daughter, your your faith has made you well, you're well, go in peace and be healed of your disease. It says, while he was still speaking, verse 35, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, 
Talitha Kumai, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The first thing that you see right in the beginning of the story, you see the absolute desperation of a father. You know, a good father strives to be, I believe, a protector and a provider. And he strives to bring stability into the lives of his children through his love and provides them with security and safety by meeting their needs and solving their problems. I mean, what dad doesn't like it when their kids come to him and say, hey, dad, I've got a problem. How do you help me fix this? And then you fix it and your kid walks off and you do your happy dance. I am relevant still in my child's life. You know, that's a, you know, that that's so much means so much to a father that, that, that they can help and they can solve and they can fix and they can protect. And I'm sure that Jairus was the same way with his his daughter, with his child. But now he was in a situation where he couldn't provide and he couldn't fix and he couldn't solve. And no doubt that, that Jairus was brokenhearted. And was it a place of total helplessness and desperation because there's nothing he can do. And in his brokenness, he runs to the only one that he can think that he can think of that can make a difference, which is very interesting to think about because Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue. You see that over and over and over again. Mark mentions that I think five different times, whether ruler or ruler of the synagogue or the ruler's house. This guy would have been connected closely with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were the ones that were the, the religious power, if you will. They were the structure of what Jewish religion should look like. And if you know anything about the New Testament, Jesus and the Pharisees didn't do too well together. Jesus obviously reached out and loved them. We see that in the life of Nicodemus. We, we know that he wanted to minister and he cared for them as much as anyone. We see in the book of Acts that Pharisees are even getting saved after, or after, uh, after the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. But at this time, they did not get along. Jesus kind of upset their apple cart, if you will. He, he kind of blew their rules out of the water and, and, and pushed them to the side and said, Listen, it's not about what they say. It's about what God's word says. They didn't like that so much that it really became their chief end to make sure Jesus was eliminated, to get him out of the way so that they could continue to maintain that religious power that they had. So for Jairus to run to Jesus, and not only just to run to Jesus, but throw himself at the ground in a clear act of worship and contrition was a big deal. Doing that, Jairus was basically saying, my job, my position, my networks, whatever influence and power I have, I don't care. If this man can heal my daughter, I can get a new job, I can find new friends, I can create new connections, but I can't not have my daughter. She is more important. And if this man can heal her, then I'm going with this man. So it was a very big deal for, for Jairus to do this. He would have been very strongly influenced by the tradition of the Pharisees and to run and throw himself at the feet of Jesus was a very big deal. And we cannot miss that. You know, Jairus shows us a very important lesson. If we don't get anything else about 
this passage or, or, or whatever happens in, in today's message, we, we need to walk out the door with this one thought. Write this down somewhere, that in your brokenness, run to the only one who can make a difference. In your brokenness, run to the only one who can make a difference. So we have an absolute desperate father at the end of himself. The next thing that we see in this passage is just the rudeness of the world. It's, it's such a sad thing for me to reading through this. We see that Jesus is here speaking with this woman in verse number 34, telling her that, you know, your, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And, and as he's speaking these things, running down the road was this kind of messenger of doom, if you will. Now imagine with me, if you will, Jairus. Now Jairus has found Jesus. He's made the decision, okay, my entire life as I know it, I'm throwing it out the window because this guy can heal my daughter. I can put my life back together down the road. Uh, if I can just get to him on time, and then I can get him back to my house, and then if he'll get back to my house, he can heal her. Everything will be okay. I'll have my daughter. I don't know what I'll do after that, but I'll, I'll figure that out. So he, he's, he's met Jesus. He's thrown himself at the feet of Jesus, and he said, you know, come heal my daughter. Jesus is on his way. Great, wonderful. What's going on? Why is he not moving? He's talking with this woman. Okay, this woman's been sick for 12 years. Surely just a few more hours will be okay. Just, you know, leave her there. I'm sure that thought crosses his mind. I hope I'm not reading too much into it, but I know as a father, in my thoughts, that would be kind of where I would go. That's great. She's sick. My daughter's almost dying. She's more important. Let's go, Jesus. Let's get this done, and you can come back and fix this later. And as he's processing all these things, and his mind is probably dealing with all this stuff, down the road he sees this person running towards him. And he knows who it is. And he knows there's only one reason why this person would be coming to find him. And it's not a good reason. And I'm sure he's telling himself in his mind, it's okay, it's okay, maybe it's something different, maybe she's gotten better, but he knows. And the sad thing is this guy runs up right in the middle of Jesus talking to this woman and says, your daughter's dead. No sympathy, no comfort, no consolation. Imagine what that must have felt like on his heart. Your daughter is dead. What's interesting is as soon as this happens, I can imagine Jesus dealing with this woman. It says that he overheard what was said, and I can just see him turning, looking at Jairus, and Jairus, who's probably everything that he can do just to stay upright on his feet. Jesus looks at him in the eye and says, do not fear, only believe. Look at the compassion of our Savior in those words. We have the rudeness of the world. In his renewed strength, do not fear, only believe. Jairus begins that walk home, and surely in his mind, he's thinking, what's going on? Why are we even doing this now? But he continued forward. He continued on with Jesus by his side, and once again, he runs into a challenge to his faith. He runs into this, and he could hear it before he could see it, but he, could, he runs into this noise of people, and 
if you know anything about Middle Eastern tradition and, and, and their funerals, it it was typical to just to make a lot of noise and people would rip their clothes. In fact, the, the, the law had commanded that they do this and people would be playing pipes and, and flutes and different things and they wouldn't just be playing a song, it would just be kind of a, a jumbled mess of all kinds of different sounds. And if you, if you want to think about what that would feel like and what it was supposed to make you feel like, just walk down to one of these rooms here, find a chalkboard, stick both your finger, hands on it and just run those fingernails straight down. It was a dissonant sound. It was to, to cause you to, to just hurt inside because it was a, a funeral. I, I think about when you talk about a dissonant sound. I, I grew up in, in band, in, in symphonic band, and played in, in fifth grade through, through high school. But, you know, as, as we got older, we got a little bit better. But those first concerts, you know, your parents are sitting out there, and you, you look at them, and they're just weeping. And, and you think, oh, my parents just love me so much. But, no, they're, they're really saying... Oh, do, am I spending this money well? Because this is this is rough. This is horrible. I love you, child, but you need more practice. Uh, <laughs> you know that that's that's the kind of sound that was being made here at this funeral. And of course, in our Western culture, in our Western tradition, at a funeral, you know, it's very hushed and very somber and very quiet, and you don't ever want to draw any attention to yourself. If, if someone were to walk into this quiet funeral with the organs playing quietly in the background and people are whispering to one another. It was just to, to, to walk in and just uh, and, and in obvious fakeness be, <laughs> you would look at that and you say, you know what, you're, you're a jerk. You need to leave. It would, would be our response, right? We'd be calling security. Hey, get this guy out of here because he is being rude. This is a quiet, somber time. We need to respect the family, but... In their culture, that would have been the complete opposite. So as Jesus walks into this kind of cacophony of noise, this, this piping and fluting and people tearing their clothes and, and obviously just screaming and wailing, and he walks in very quietly. It would have seemed very offensive to these people to watch Jesus do that. But of course, we know that he knows what's going on. And it's almost as if he's walking side by side with Jairus to provide that comfort as he walks into this kind of this craziness of what's going on. And, you know, it's the complete opposite of the rudeness of the world. It's the compassion of the Savior. So we have a desperate father, desperation of a father. We see just rudeness of a world. Now we have the compassion of a Savior. In compassion, Jesus removed those that sought to damage Jairus' faith. So here are all, all these people. They're wailing. They're crying. They're screaming. They're doing these things. And everyone knows why. It's because someone has died. That's the whole reason this is all happening. Jesus walks in, and he actually extends even his compassion towards them. He says, why are you making commotion and weeping? The child is not dead but sleeping. You know, we think, well, you guys need to understand this is Jesus, so you need to just change what you're doing and, and listen to him. But, of course, they did not. And they laughed at him, and he pushed them out and said, all right, you've got to get out. So he, he, he compassionately walks with the gyrus. He compassionately even reaches out to those people that are weeping and wailing and then trying to damage Jairus' faith. But can you see with me now how in compassion... 
Jesus reaches down, touches that little girl's hand, and speaks life into her. Now, if if you're a marginal Jew, you would understand that touching a dead body would have left you ceremoniously unclean. All right? And, of course, how does that make sense? How could Jesus be unclean? It's not possible, right? The pureness and the holiness of our beautiful Savior touching that girl overwhelmed anything unclean and changed her. Changed her from dead to life. What a beautiful picture it is of what he does for us. And you know, it's amazing to me because she's not just alive and, and waking up slowly and, oh, I hurt, or oh, I need... It says she got up and she started to walk around. She didn't need therapy. She didn't need to recover. There was no recuperation. She was alive as if nothing had ever happened. I can imagine a new sound echoing from the bedchamber. It has moved now from the, the horrible sound of death to the rejoicing that there is life. Most importantly, not only was there life for this little girl, but I believe that there was eternal life in the souls of those three people who had been visited by Jesus. Because no doubt, no doubt, that when they saw what Jesus did, they didn't see him as just a man. They, they saw him as their Savior. So what do we take away from today? Well, number one, most important thing that you can take away from today, and I hope you'll write this down, keep this somewhere, keep this close to your heart, in your brokenness, run to the only one who can make a difference. You know, the world will provide you with no comfort in your pain, they will give you no sympathy for your sorrow and no celebration for your faith. We're not, we're not going to drive out the, the road here, and the people of Castanea and Lock Haven aren't going to applaud us for, hey, they went to church again. Good job, guys. You guys are great. Some of them are looking at us like, what in the world are you doing? Beautiful rainy day to sleep in? I mean, that was my first thought when I got up this morning. It's like, okay, sleep in. Day. Nope, can't. i got to get going. Uh, What we do, the the world doesn't understand. It doesn't make sense to them. And they're not going to celebrate for us. You know, just as the people in this story laughed at Jesus, they're going to laugh at us for living our life in obedience to God's word. You're taking time off of work to go to Guatemala for what? Well, why are you doing that? You're giving money from your paycheck so that this church can build a building? Why would you do that? Uh, you're, You're... you're helping support somebody that's across the world, and, and what do they do? They, they tell people about Jesus? Why, why are you doing It doesn't make sense to the world. They're not going to celebrate that for us. But in the midst of all this, in the midst of our struggles when it feels like we're swimming upstream and it doesn't make sense and, and things are coming at us that are bombarding our faith to make us stop, there's Jesus coming alongside of us right when we need it, saying, don't fear, keep going. There he is, removing those obstacles from us to to, to get those things out of the way so we'll continue to move forward and please him. Ultimately, in this story, we see that Jesus came to give life. And that life that he came to give is far beyond just the short years that we live here on this earth. And while we're thankful for those and we want to use those for his honor and glory, Ultimately, as we said before, 
Mark wrote this book to show everyone that this man is different. This man is the Son of God. And he's going to go and die on a cross for you. And he's going to pay for your sin. And if you'll just accept that he is God, that he loves you, he will change your life and he will bring you eternal life. If you haven't done that yet, I hope you'll talk with someone today. Speak with me or find one of the elders, one of the deacons, and say, listen, I need Jesus. We'll be glad to show you who that is today. And if you're in the middle of something, if you're in a storm, or you've got something that you're dealing with and you don't know why you're dealing with it, or you need healing, or whatever it may be, run to the only one who can make a difference. He may not get there when you think he needs to get there, but when he shows up, he will make a difference. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what we can learn uh, from it. And we thank you that everything points directly to you and to what you did for us on the cross. Bless us now as we go out. Help us to share your love with others as we work and do the different things we do this week. In Jesus' name we pray.